We do appreciate Brother Greg being back and all of you being here today and for those of you who have joined us online. In a regular service prior to March the 15th, this would be the time where we would take up our morning offering. But we know that these are unprecedented times. But let me tell you what you have done as a church family. You have continued to faithfully give. And we, as your pastoral staff, your deacons, your finance team, we say thank you. And we are very, very grateful. We don't take this for granted. And we know that because of furloughs and job losses and other things that have happened, um, sometimes it's a, a great sacrifice for you to give. And so we just wanted to say thank you. And this is the time where you can go online at fbcathens.org or... Uh, you can go ahead and prepare your offering envelope and mail it in to Brother Greg at First Baptist Church Athens, 201 East Hobbs Street. And when we receive that mail, we get all giddy and excited, and we then spray it down and make sure it don't have any germs on it, okay? And then we open it up, and we get the monies, and uh, we do what we do. We keep the lights on. We make sure that our missionaries continue to be taken care of as well as the other needs that we have. Uh, Brother Keenan was talking with you a few moments ago. If you've already set it up on your mobile phone, you can also give at 77977, and you can give your tithes and offerings that way. And then for those of you who are on campus today, when Brother Keith comes up and dismisses us here in just a little while, we have our offering boxes on the wall, so you can give the old-fashioned way as you exit the building here in just a little while. I think it's important when we're giving thanks, not only to you, we also need to give thanks to the Father. So would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Father, we are so grateful that we can continue to give. Not only give of our time, but also our treasure. And you've blessed us, and we now seek to be a blessing. So Father, thank you for our church family and countless others who watch us online, who give faithfully week in and week out so that we may continue to do what you've called us to do. Now, Father, prepare our hearts for the Word of God through the preaching of the Word. Father, hide us behind the cross. We're not here today to be seen, but we are here today to preach and proclaim gospel truth that could set us free. We are thankful and grateful now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Brother Keenan shared with you a few moments ago that Brother John Crocker is going to be preaching in our pulpit in both services next week, and we're very excited about that. And so I, I developed the character from God's Word today that many of you are familiar with. We, we know his name to be Barnabas. And when I think of John Crocker, I think of Barnabas. When I think of countless other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, when I think about them and I can picture them in my mind's eye, I think about Barnabas. So today's message is simply entitled, Our Need for a Barnabas. I don't know about you, but I've needed to be encouraged lately. And it's just amazing to me that that text comes in just at the right time. That email comes in just at the right time. That phone call comes in at just the right time. You see, the Lord has not forgotten about us. 
He knows what we're walking through. He, he knows the valley of the shadows that we're walking through right now. And to God be the glory that he will allow a man or a woman of God around us to be a Barnabas to encourage us. But let me wrap this character of Barnabas around a story. I want to talk about somewhat briefly the conversion of Saul the persecutor into Paul the preacher. Now we know that this didn't happen overnight because simply the timeline of Scripture. Saul needed encouragement and help to make the transition because he had done a lot of bad things. A lot of people had been arrested. A lot of people had even been murdered by stoning and other means simply because they were a follower of Jesus. We could actually call Saul a religious terrorist. But our story today is not about Saul. It's going to be about Barnabas. If you have your Bibles, your smartphone, your iPad, or your Kindle, or simply look on the screen behind me, Acts chapter 4 is where we begin this morning, and we start in verse 36, where the Bible says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. I have in my sermon notes that Barnabas was an encourager of people. It's been over five years now, and in just a few weeks, I'll celebrate my fifth anniversary of getting to come home. Oh, how I loved my folks in Louisville, Kentucky, but when the opportunity presented itself for me to be able to come home, Joe and I prayed and we believed it was time. But so many of you got my phone number that at the time was a Louisville number, and you began to text me, and you began to encourage me. You became a Barnabas to me. And when we look at the life of Barnabas, it seems as though as they let no opportunity escape him, to add value to others. You know what you did during that interim time? You added value to me. You, you uh, inspired me. You encouraged me. You blessed me. And again, looking at the life of Barnabas, his, his greatest single contribution in terms of encouragement was seen in his relationship with the one who was named Saul, who became Paul. So this begs the question, what did Barnabas do? I want to give you four areas to consider this morning of what Paul did. Number one, Barnabas believed in and endorsed Saul Paul's leadership to other leaders. So in describing Barnabas's actions, notice with me in Acts chapter 9 from our previous text of Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. The Bible says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples... And they were all afraid of him, for that they did not believe that he was a disciple. So here's the setting. The one who had been the terrorist, Saul, gets saved on the road to Damascus. He has scales over his eyes. He has hands laid upon him. The scales fall, and now he begins to preach the very gospel that he tried to destroy. So now he's wanting to come and hang out with the disciples. He's wanting to come and be a part of that band of brothers, if you will, in Jerusalem. But they were afraid of him. I would have been afraid of him. I mean, here, here's the guy that was taking my friends out and having them stoned to death. 
And now he wants to be a part of my party. He wants to be a part of my team. But Barnabas, we all need a Barnabas sometime, don't we? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, again, if you look at Saul's resume, he was the same man who had stood by in Acts chapter 7 at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He was this, this religious terrorist against those who followed Jesus. But what did Barnabas do? He did what sometimes you and I need to do. We need to share that testimony. You know, Paul didn't even have to say a word. All the believers already knew Barnabas. They knew his reputation. They knew his integrity. That was all that it took. Then Paul was accepted by the disciples in Jerusalem, which leads us to point number two. Barnabas encouraged Saul Paul to reach his potential. Over the years, especially the last three decades in ministry, I've had preachers who saw the potential in me, and they encouraged me and said, Joel, you can do this. You not only can do it at this level, you can do it at that level. I believe in you. We all need a Barnabas who is willing to believe in us. In fact, Barnabas's connection to Paul did not even end in Jerusalem. After Barnabas's endorsement enabled Paul to move freely throughout Jerusalem, teaching people and debating the truth of Scripture. That action encouraged Paul to take his first assignment as a leader. And then it led to his partnership with Barnabas as a missionary, the role for which God had destined him. Now, I was a pretty good worker at Steelcase. I enjoyed my time with my friends there making office furniture. But there was man after man after man that I worked with that says, Joel, you're going to do so much more than build office furniture. I needed that at times because there was the security of a weekly paycheck. There was the security of a quarterly bonus. There was the security in all of that. But all of these Barnabases gathered around me and says, there is a role that God has destined for you. Now let me tell you what happens when you encourage people. It takes a personal investment. It requires our energy, it requires our time, but over the long haul, we're going to see that it was worth the price. Now, we know that Barnabas was a secure leader because he readily gave his power away. He gave others an opportunity to preach and to lead. And as Paul became stronger as a leader and eclipsed him, you know what Barnabas did? He stepped back and he gave the reins of leadership to him. Now, let me tell you something about Scripture. Until Acts chapter 13, verse 7, Paul is Barnabas' assistant, his associate pastor. Barnabas is the senior pastor and sponsor. That's why you see in Scripture, Barnabas and Paul. But after Acts 13 and 7, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Someone spoke this into my life a long, long time ago. They said, it's amazing what can be accomplished if the leader doesn't care who gets the credit. Always know that this is not Joel's church. It's not Brother Keith's church. It's not Brother Wason's church. It's not even your church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what matters more than anything else. There will come a time where I won't be the pastor here. I hope it's many years from now. 
But when that time's come, another man of God will stand behind this desk and preach the Word of God. It's not Joel's church. Never has been, never will be. And as long as we keep that in mind, we will simply remain an encourager because we are willing to say it doesn't matter who gets the credit. So my question today would be, whom are you committed to encouraging? Who is it that God has put across your path that you're supposed to inspire and you are supposed to encourage? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, gives us a little bit of a glimpse. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Part of my job as a dad for Zeke and Danny, part of my job as a husband to Joe, part of my job as a son to Bobby and Gail Carwile is to inspire and stir up love and good works. It's your responsibility as well in your family, in your circle of friends, in your sphere of influence, which leads us to point number three. Barnabas encouraged others when they experienced success. You know what? He wasn't jealous. If somebody else got the press clipping on that particular day or week, he was fine with that. In fact, he was the biggest cheerleader of all. He celebrated that people around him were being successful. So when Barnabas encountered people who were doing well, he encouraged them to do even better. Did you know that through the last 17 weeks, the last 119 days since we decided to make a change from March the 15th forward, so many of you have encouraged me. You've texted me, you've emailed me, you've called me on the phone, you've sent me pictures of grandbabies, you have, you have done things for me that you'll never know this side of heaven what, you could, what you've done. So Scripture describes the actions of Barnabas when he arrived at the church in Antioch. Notice it with me on the screen in Acts chapter 11. The Bible says that when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. And then we get a little glimpse under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of who Barnabas was. The Bible says that he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Anytime there's a Barnabas spirit, people are added to the Lord because it creates an atmosphere of unity, an atmosphere of blessing, an atmosphere of oneness. So Barnabas was not jealous about what was happening at Antioch. He applauded what was going on at Antioch. Anytime my friend Andy John at Lindsay Lane lets me know that somebody got saved at Lindsay Lane, I get excited. When Pastor Tim lets me know that somebody gets saved over at Clements Baptist Church, I get excited. And let me tell you as well, when I let them know that we've got two more baptisms tomorrow afternoon at 5.30, they get excited for us as well. See, that's what happens when the body of Christ is doing what it's supposed to do. In fact, look at point number four. Barnabas encouraged others when they failed. I want to assure you today, both of those who are on campus and those of you who are watching me online today, that there's going to be somebody in your family. There's going to be somebody in your circle of friends. There's going to be somebody that you work with who's going to let you down. They're going to say something wrong. They're going to do something wrong. 
Uh, they're going to they're gonna have their name and, and the background plastered on the front page of the newspaper. And you're going to have a decision to make. Either to support them or flee from them. Barnabas was one of those guys that if you happen to fail, he's going to stick with you closer than a brother. He's going to say, I got you back. I've got your six. I'm going to do what the Bible says to do. Even when someone let him down, Barnabas still believed in him. So here's the question. What about us? When, when somebody in your family does something crazy, or they do something wrong, or they commit this egregious act of sin, do we run to them to love on them and forgive them and help restore them? Or do we post nasty things about them on social media? What is our response when that happens? Notice with me in Acts chapter 13, verse 4 and 5. And I want to play out a story that happens in the life of Barnabas, Paul, and a young man by the name of John Mark. The Bible says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, which included Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menean, and Saul, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John Mark to assist them. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, like I know many of you are, that first missionary journey covers from chapter 12, verse 25, to chapter 14 and verse 28 in the book of Acts. So after the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, Paul, Barnabas, and some of the disciples were sent back to Antioch to preach the gospel. Notice it with me in chapter 15, beginning at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now that was a great idea. I think it's always a good uh, idea to go and check on folks. There's only one problem. Who's going to be on the team? Again, chapter 15. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. All right, Joel, what's going on here? Well, if you look back with me in chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now John Mark, according to the timeline of Scripture, was a very, very young man. He was not seasoned. He, he didn't have experience as a missionary as of yet. And there's a lot of theologians and a lot of commentaries that have debated what happened. Why did John Mark leave? Maybe the danger of missions. Maybe it was immaturity. Maybe he was homesick. We don't know. But whatever it was, Paul didn't like it. And he did not think that any excuse was valid. Therefore, he lost confidence in John Mark. It is very difficult, as all of us know, but not impossible to recover confidence in someone after they have let you down. So far, Zeke has been a very trustworthy young man. And now, as we're going over the Proverbs together, when I take him to training each morning throughout the week, we do our proverb together. Uh, the Bible app reads it to us, and I ask him, and I love to get a 14-year-old's take on the Proverbs. It always blesses me to hear from his side, from his understanding, what God's Word says. But Joe and I both try to teach Zeke, 
as long as we can trust you and you remain trustworthy, everything's fine. But if you ever lie, if you ever do something that removes that trust, it'll take a while to build it back up. Notice verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So here is Barnabas and Paul, and then now it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul is the leader, and he says, I'm not taking John Mark. He left us once, he'll leave us again. You probably could call this the very first church split in the body of Christ. Now when you see in verse 39 the two words, sharp disagreement, the Greek word for that means they did not shake hands or embrace when they were separated. So these two men of God were ticked off. They were upset. It was legitimate. You know, sometimes we as believers, we get fired up too, don't we? We, we want it to be one way and it goes another way, and we say, I'm going to take my toys and go home. Well, that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. And it says that Barnabas took John Mark and he sailed away to Cyprus. Verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now you may be pondering who was right, Barnabas or Paul. You know, Bible history would lean toward it was the Apostle Paul who was right. But are even these the right questions to ask? Who is right or who is wrong? Only heaven knows. But let me tell you what Paul and Barnabas did do eventually. Enough time passed and they reconciled according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Even John Mark later became one of Paul's valued co-laborers. Paul forgave him. Barnabas did a remarkable job with John Mark on Cyprus to help him turn his life around. Even though he had failed, even though he had turned tail, if you will, and went back home and did not go on the missionary journey with him, in fact, John Mark eventually wrote one of the Gospels that you and I still read to this day. What a turnaround! So one thing that jumps out for me on this, if you're here today on campus or you're watching online and you've messed up, there's still hope. God can still raise you up from the ashes and help you and encourage you if you have enough Barnabases around you. And there are some of us here today that need a Barnabas. Maybe our life has been filled with bad decisions, bad choices that's led to even worse consequences. We need somebody to believe in us again. Almighty God still believes in us. He's still, there's still hope. But we also need that horizontal relationship of someone who will come alongside of you and shepherd you and help you to get healed up, to make sure that there's salve that's placed in the wounds so that they can be healed and you can be used by God once again. When I look at the last 119 days, I look at the last 17 weeks, it is amazing how God will take what we consider this worst event or situation and use it for His glory. Use it for His good. Now, as I begin to close this morning, I want to ask you a question. What kind of Barnabas do we need and what kind of Barnabas do we need to be? Let me give you three things and I'm done. Number one, it's called the shallow Barnabas. We all need a Barnabas both known and unknown. It's been 25 plus years ago that I ran a half marathon. Running 5K, 10K, and half marathons and marathons with what you would call the ultimate postmodern sport. Why? You don't enter to win, you enter to finish. 
No one ever asks me when I'm running a 5K today, hey, Joel, did you win? But they do ask me, did you finish? You see, my experience in Huntsville years ago included encouragement from the known, my family and friends, but also the unknown. There were people along that race, onlookers from the sidelines who shouted encouragement to me even though they didn't know me. However, these anonymous, spontaneous Barnabas encouragers helped me to stagger toward the finish line and finish the race. Sometimes we are called to encourage people that we don't even know. Now, admittedly, this kind of Barnabas is more style than substance. If our lifelong pursuit of deeper relationships do not forget the importance of the shallow smile or wink or slap on the back or even a firm handshake, we all need people in our lives who do shallow well. I've learned as a pastor for over 31 years that not every conversation needs to be a counseling session. Not every exchange must suck the life out of you. You see, every depth has a surface. And when you live deeply, you still need others who will love and encourage you from the surface. You see, your Barnabas is often found in the shallows. Enjoy him or her and thank God for them. I have some Barnabases who are in the shallow water. They expect nothing from me. All they want to do is be a blessing to me. All they want to do is ever be an encouragement to me. All of us need those kind of brothers and sisters in our lives, which lead us to the second kind of Barnabas. We need the big brother Barnabas. You see, the big brother encourages us by name, not by number. You see, this is the person who climbs in the foxhole with you, who says, I've got your back, I've got your six, no matter what's going on. This is what Barnabas did for John Mark. Ralph Waldo Emerson, one of my favorite authors, in his poem, Music, said, But in the mud and scum of things, there always, always something sings. Someone's always singing. That's what the big brother does. Even though you've looked into the darkness and it's looked back at you, there's someone who has your back that says, everything's going to be all right. And they just keep singing. You think they're naive. You think they've got their head stuck in the sand. No, they're singing for you because they believe in you. They're your big brother. They're your big sister who's going to help you to get through the most difficult times of life. We all need that kind of brother or sister in our lives. I don't know about you, but there's been moments the last 119 days that my cup has been empty. My cup has been dry. You barely have enough to even survive, but then that big brother Barnabas fills your cup. And they give you some love. They give you some joy. They, they, they produce some encouragement to keep you running. The big brother always believes in you no matter what. And there are some of us today that are a big brother to someone else, but let me tell you, even those big brothers who are always encouraging others, sometimes they need a big brother as well. Sometimes they need a big sister who's going to come alongside and say, listen, you've been giving and giving and giving. You've got to be empty. I'm here today to fill your cup. I'm here today to inspire you. Like you encourage and inspire others, I'm here today to encourage and inspire you. That's what a big brother Barnabas will do. Which leads us to our third and final and probably the most important Barnabas, the Epaphras prayer Barnabas. What are you talking about, Joel? I think 
This is the most dangerous Barnabas. Why? Because prayer is the most powerful voice, spoken or unspoken, in the universe. Let me give you a little bit of background of Epaphras. He was from this Colossian community, and he served others through prayer ministry. Look on the screen with me in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. We need people who will struggle on our behalf. We need people who look at our lives and know how imperfect we are, and yet they still love us. They still know that we need their prayers, and we need their support, and we need their love, and we need their encouragement. So here's the question. What kind of Barnabas are you? What kind of Barnabas do you need? I didn't have a lot of opportunities at West Limestone to take foreign languages. It was sort of Alabama or Alabama, okay? That was the languages that we could learn at West Limestone. Maybe later on they provided an opportunity to learn Spanish, but I know that at some places you can learn French. You know, the English word encouragement comes from the French word cuir. It simply means to put heart into someone. To put heart in someone. That's what you do when you encourage someone. Especially someone who is discouraged. Someone that maybe is in a career or a vocation and they're struggling. Maybe they've been furloughed from their job. Maybe they've got some things going on that they had not really been public about. They've not posted their whole biography on, on social media. And they've sort of kept it to themselves because they're more private natured. But yet they've been struggling. And then here you... Listening to the Holy Spirit, you give them some encouragement and you put some heart into them. That's what we're called to do. The beautiful passage in the book of Ezekiel that talks about salvation, that says, I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's what needs to happen to some of us today. Not only here on campus, but also online. Right there in your living room, right there at your kitchen table. You need to cry out to Jesus today because he's knocked on your heart's door. This is not the first time. Maybe it's the 114th time. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm not going to let you off the hook that easily. That is the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit. So being a Barnabas is a presence and a power in someone's life. I asked the Lord... Lord, as I preach this message and I come to the final moments of it, what do you want me to ask of your people? This is what I believe I heard. When you leave here today or you sign off online, you go find someone to be a Barnabas to. Someone to encourage. Someone to put heart into. Because I tell you, in the days in which we live, there's some desperate folks. There's some folks who've been in the valley of the shadows for weeks or months that need our encouragement. Now let me just speak to you Barnabases for just a moment in closing. You give and you give and you give and you give. Even you can become empty. When God brings you a Barnabas, don't tell him you're okay. Tell him I need this. Inspire me so that I may continue to inspire others.